we're good. That should be everything. All right. So go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. I'm going to go over a story you guys have probably never heard of in the Bible. Luke chapter 10, 25 through 37. Yeah, you're looking at it, huh? It's, you've never seen this story before, right? The Good Samaritan, I think everybody's heard this one. This is like one of your favorite ones as a kid. You have those little patch of people you can put up on the on the bulletin. I remember that in Sunday school. But on this 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 part of Scripture, and we're going to go through a lot of Scripture today, so hold on tight. But one of the things that God's just been going over and over with me is is just being busy. And as we look, and I've talked with a lot of other churches, and I've seen what's gone on with some of the things that are going on in the churches, and it's getting harder and harder to find people that will step up and help or just be a part of it. It's kind of we have to come and we go because life is so busy. And so, yeah, I can give these hours over, and it's good, but I have to get out quick. I don't have time to do that. I can't go to this. And so our lives, especially as Americans, have gotten so busy and so just looking again and seeing in our lives with the busy schedules that we have, do we have time to stop? And so today what we're going to talk about, the topic is too busy to stop. And just starting here, you guys know this, uh, most of you guys could tell this story easily, and I'm sure you've told your kids about the Good Samaritan. And we usually look at it as, here's a guy that's you know reaching out to this other person, but you look at the status that these other men had, and they're along the road, there was both status and there was a hurry there. I mean, you don't want to be sitting outside of Jericho on that road, obviously. It's a bad place to be. That's why Jesus used that part. Even to this day, it's a little sketchy. I've been over there. You leave Jerusalem. You're heading down this hill and everything. There's nothing out there except for a lot of great places to hide and get ambushed. And that's what he's talking about. And so these other guys that are going along, and as we read through it, just look at these guys and, and how they stood up for this man that got beaten up and, and robbed. It's actually a sad thing. But then look at what was going on there. So begin reading in verse 25 of chapter 10. It says, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall we, uh, I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is it written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. He just throws that little one in there. Verse 28, and he says to him, You've answered rightly, do this and you will live. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? See, this guy is totally trying to, you know, hey, I'm, I'm the man. I got these things going on. I know, you know what's right. I know all the right answers. And so that's why he's pushing it a little further. And he says, Hey, tell me who my neighbor is. Because I'm sure I've done it. I'm sure I'm good on this. And Jesus, this is where he really puts it down because he comes completely countercultural to him. And brings in this Samaritan. And so he says in verse 30, it says, Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who had stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a certain priest came down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. A priest. This is a guy that definitely has some status, doesn't he? But he's probably got something he's got to go do. He's got ministry he needs to get to. And here's somebody that would take a lot of time out of the schedule to get there, and certainly somebody else will come along and fill that role. 
Or he's probably already dead anyways, so why, you know, or close to it, so why bother? I mean, all these things you can put in there. I know they're not in the scripture, but you just wonder why did this guy not stop? Why? It's a priest. It's something that's following after God and, and doing his work. Then it says, likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. See, in their culture, the priest was like the server of all, right? I mean, this is a guy that's high in their culture, so of course the priest would stop and do something. Okay, if the priest didn't do it, then the Levite, which is one that's been called to do the work of God, to do the worship of God, he doesn't even stop. What's going on here? here? Here's the people of the church, if you wanted to look at that, and they're not stopping for somebody that has a need. And then you get down here and he says, so he went, or in verse 33, but it was a certain Samaritan, and, and the thing with Samaritans is they were kind of enemies with the Jewish people. There wasn't anything good there. And so he uses it. Jesus purposely uses a Samaritan that's something that's countercultural to their ideas because they're enemies, and he uses him to be the servant. And he says in his journeys, he came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had what? Compassion. That's going to be a big word today because Jesus always pours out his compassion as he stops and serves others. So this guy has compassion. Compassion, that word is with suffering is what it means. Like you're joined in suffering with what that person's going through. You guys have had hard times in your lives and you, and you come across somebody that's going through maybe the same hard thing, whether it's cancer, divorce, losing a child, uh, getting fired. You have that compassion with that person because you know what it was like to go through it. You're with suffering with them. It's a good ministry to have. Jesus had it all the time. And so he has compassion on verse 34. He says, so he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And watch how much he invests into this guy. Not just time, but he also invests economy into him, his money. And so he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring in oil and wine. And he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was a neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, he who showed mercy on him. And then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. So this guy was thinking, yeah, I got the easy ones. I can, I can go help these people that are right next to me. But he's taking something that's totally countercultural to them, and he's using them to give this example. And what a neat story that we have there of, of Jesus just talking about, look, here's somebody that had compassion. It wasn't like the Samaritan was just out doing his, you know, hey, I'm just looking for somebody to serve and I have all the time in the world. We know that because he drops the guy off and he has to leave. So we already know he was doing something. You didn't just go over in that place. There was always business that was going on there. And so he was a busy man. He had stuff to do, but yet he stops, he takes his time and he ministers to this guy. Now, I went through and, and I found this little research uh, that this lady, Sylvia, uh, probably butcher her last name, but Beleza. Um, it was in the Harvard Business Review. And the title is, Why Americans Are So Impressed by Busyness. Now, you guys that have a few more years than me, you remember back when commercials used to be about, like if a person was high status, usually you had them camping out on a boat, you know, just relaxing, they're on a beach, and that showed, oh, there's success. That's somebody that's got a high status in society. 
But as we progress, now look at the commercials. I think it was in 2014, one of the Super and I don't know this just off the top of my head. I, I read it. I don't remember commercials like this. But 2014, Super Bowl commercial, one of the Cadillac commercials showed this busy person. It was all about this busy person and all the things that they needed to do and how this car would best fit their lifestyle. And if you look at, look at all the commercials, look at how many now, it's about that busyness. Like us as Americans, we, we take hold of that busyness because that shows success, doesn't it? How busy we are shows that we're an important person, that we have things to do, that if somebody's going to hire me or look at using me, well, it's like, oh, I'm, I'm pretty important, I'm busy. So maybe we can get you fit in here somewhere. And it's not that we outright want to say, you know, I'm the best person in the world and, and it's because I'm so busy, but our culture's really got into an idea of looking at them and seeing that this is a person that definitely has a higher status, depending on how busy. And this study that they did ended up showing that. Um, you know, our, our, our own sayings, when somebody comes up to you and says, well, how are you doing? Usually the saying was, well, I'm fine. Everything's good, better than I deserve, you know, all those different things. And now what you hear a lot more, and this has come out of my mouth all the time, is busy. How are you doing? Busy. <laughs> you know, and it's not that we're trying to go anywhere, it's just it's constantly something is going on in life. And I want you to know that because that's where I'm at. I'm busy. <laughs> so what do you have to say? Because i got to go. Try not to have that attitude for sure. I'm just joking about that. But So don't think that next time I say busy. We don't have to keep it short. We can talk about things. The research done, it found that a person working long hours was looked at. And what they did is they took a person and they made them read these two stories. I think it was like 500 people. They read a story about this guy that was a very busy person, always doing things, and another person that kind of just was relaxed, lounged around. And, and then they wanted to know the success or what they thought of them. And in the end of this study, they compared the two of them, and the one that was busier, the people decided that they had higher status compared to the person with a leisurely lifestyle. Now, this is a lot here because they did the study, too, and they brought in a French person or people. It wasn't just one. They brought in a group of them, and they also did the same study, and it was completely different. It's very different in the cultures. I mean, even where we lived before, it was so nice because it was just, it was very leisurely. And you know what? Things got done. It was amazing. It was so hard at first because you're like, no, I have to have that now so I can get this job done because you don't know how much, you know, is going on. And they look at you and be like, why are you so upset about this? This is, it's just life. It'll work out. And it, after a few years, we learned, yeah, it does. A lot less stress. So Jesus, looking at him, as we come across him, we know he's very busy. If you guys just scan through the Gospels, you guys are going to see Jesus constantly moving, isn't he? It's showing him going from house to house, from multitude to multitude, from hillside to hillside, in the boat, out of the boat, in the boat, out of the boat, right? Jesus was very, very busy, especially in his three years, those last three and a half years of that time in ministry. And so if he's that busy, how does he have time for all these stops along the way? What was going on with him? I think he's a great example, of course, to look at. If you look through those Gospels, he stopped every time and he heals somebody. Every time you see him, he's stopping to minister. Just about every miracle, when you guys go through and just scan through real quick, look at the miracles. And what you're going to see is before that miracle, he was always either teaching or traveling. But yet he stopped to heal. He stopped to minister. Another story that we find, and it's right in Matthew 15, if you guys want to turn over there. Matthew 15. We get to see Jesus in his busyness. 
And this is a pretty critical situation because he's going off to heal this little girl that is dying and actually dies. And I don't think many of us can say that, you know, I'm on the way to go save somebody's life. Here, let me stop for you and talk to you for a little bit. It usually doesn't happen in our lives, but I think that's why he gives this example because it's like to the most extreme you could go. So anything below that, we shouldn't have any excuse for why we couldn't stop and minister to somebody. So in chapter 15 of Matthew 21, I mean, sorry, chapter 15, verse 21, it starts with this story, and it says, Then Jesus went out from there and departed to that region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. Sorry, it wasn't death. I was thinking another one. So she's demon-possessed. But he answered her not a word, and his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. But he answered and said, I was not... I'm totally on the wrong verse. I'm just noticing that. We're going to hit that other one I just described later. Let's look at this verse right here. What I was talking about in this scripture, and let me get back to where we were at, looking at the status and what's going on, Jesus had a huge status right here. And like what I just went through and talking about the status and, and not having that leisurely style and him being busy, Jesus' status, and not only was he this rabbi that this multitude's following around, but also he is healing these people and he's a Jew. Okay, There's a highest status here than amongst them and the Gentiles. So anyways, this woman comes up to him, is crying out. His disciples say, send her away. She's being annoying. And Jesus, in verse 24, he says, answer, and he said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And then she came and worshiped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said to her, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And what he's just saying here is he's saying, I have come to minister to the Jewish people. Your Gentile were not there yet. And what he's doing is Jesus is not at this time saying, I don't have time for the Gentiles. He's totally testing this lady because he wants to make an example of her and show how her faith was. So he brings to this point and he puts her in this place of what the Jews think of the Gentiles. And he says, I can't even give you this because this is meant for the children. And here's the lady's response. It's awesome. And it says, and she said, yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat crumbs which fall from the master's table. And Jesus is just like, you got it. <laughs> awesome. Because then he says in verse 28, Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. And this awesome story that Jesus had the status, he had this busyness that he could have easily written off, this lady. But instead he stops and he deals with her. And then in verse 20, uh, 15, or 29, chapter 15, 29, 31, this is another little place that we get to see how busy Jesus is and what he ends up doing. So, at this time, Jesus has multitudes always looking for him. I mean, it's out. They know he's going to heal. Okay, So you can just imagine there's people just always looking for him. They want to know when he's in town and bring out their sick so that he can heal them. And so in verse 29, it says, Jesus departed from there and skirted the Sea of Galilee and went up on a mountain and sat down. So you can see Jesus is trying to get away. He's trying to get some time alone. And so he skirts the Sea of Galilee, which he wasn't taking the main roads is what it's saying. And then he went up on a mountainside so he could have some time. And this is one of those places where we're just like, yeah, I've been there. I just need some time. I don't want to talk to anybody. Yeah, look what he does. It says, and then verse 30, it says, Then the great multitudes came to him, having with them the lame, the blind, mute, maimed, and many others, and they laid them down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them. He didn't take off. He didn't say, no, no, no. You know, my hours are between here and here. But he heals them, and it says, So the multitude marveled when they saw the mute speaking, the maimed made whole, the 
lame walking and the blind seeing, and they glorified God of Israel. That's the biggest point right there is who's going to be glorified. Is our schedule that important that we need to make sure that everything and all of our commitments are held tight, or can we stop and give that time to him? How many of us have made our lives that are so busy that we have no time now to do what God's asked us to, to do what he's called us to do? I mean, I even find myself that you, you get into all these things, you want to do these things that he's asked you to, and you get so busy to where it either becomes where you don't have enough time for ministry or you're in ministry and you don't have time to actually be excited about it anymore. You don't, you don't have that, that desire, you, and now it's become as baggage to you. And it's a sad place to go, and there's many of the times that in ministry, and you see people that are teaching and, and going through that, that now everything's become a burden to them. As they go through, and, and the busyness is what's producing it. As I've seen in my own life, and just stacking up work and stacking up all these different things, and now when I come to a place where I have to go and minister, it's like, I just want a break. I just want a break. I just want to sit at home like other people do on their couch, and just do nothing. And there's so many times where the Lord's like, you said you gave me your life. I'm like, yeah, I did. Okay, well, I want you to go do this right now. And every time, here's the coolest thing. I know you guys can relate with this. You go out and you do it, and it's such a blessing because you get to see exactly what happened here is God is glorified. And you come back and you're like, oh. and especially those times you do not want to go. Those are the, you know, absolutely. I'm doing it this time. I'm not going and then he comes through and he does this awesome work. And whatever you had scheduled or whatever always falls into place like it should. It's an awesome thing that he does for us. I hope and pray that, you know, through Jesus' examples that we can reevaluate our busy life and return to that compassion or that passion that we once had and that he gave us for the people and the lost. That's one thing. You look at your lives right now. How much passion do you guys have for the lost right now? It's a hard question. And it's a convicting one. Because automatically, look, what are we doing for the lost? How much do we love our brothers and sisters? You know, what are we doing there? And this is not a message to bring you guys into condemnation and be like, you guys need to do more. And, you know, here, let me pile some more on your busy, busy schedule. It's rather to reevaluate, to reassess where is the direction of my life been going. I know before I had this passion. I love people. I compassion for them. I would stop at any moment to do this for them. Go out of the way, stop that busy schedule. But now it's gotten so overwhelming now that I can't breathe and I can't minister the way that I would like to because I'm really grouchy now. So I don't want to hear other people's problems. I don't want to deal with this. I don't want to, you know, and you get into this, this sad part where it's if you lost it. You've lost what he's called you to. And so let's look at some examples. And I don't know how these are going to hit, but as we go through it, I just looked at them and I, man, going through Matthew, Mark, and Luke, there's so many different ones that I'll come up, and I don't want to name it excuses because there's some pretty um, extreme cases into what we'll put ourselves into to, to bring us out of ministry to say that we can't do it. And so Jesus, as we go through it, we have, you know, usually we have an arsenal of, of excuses or problems that come up or some kind of thing that's more important. And so we use that when we're approached by ministry. And ministry can be anything. It can be serving here at church. It can be out there on the street when somebody needs just to be helped because they, you know, they're down in the gutter. It could be the person that you need to stop by at Walmart and start talking to them about what their life is like. 
and start introducing Jesus, this hope to them, because they're hopeless. And you guys that have stopped and talked with people in this town, you guys know how many people are hurting out there. So many people are so lonely out there. It is surprising. You start talking with them. And you're like, wow, I didn't know there was that many here. And you get a minister to them, but you're taking that time out of your busy schedule. And so let's look at how Jesus dealt with these excuses. Because Jesus could have had some great excuses. I mean, he had the ultimate ones. He could have easily said, no, I'm in this place right now. I, I don't have time for this right now. But over and over again, we get to see Jesus just pouring out his life. And when we get to the end of it, I want to show you guys, this is why Jesus was doing it. Here's the motive behind it, and here's how he did it. Because I definitely think that everyone in this room could not argue and say, I'm busier than Jesus. Right? So as we go through this, don't look at it as like, Curtis is a jerk, and he's saying this stuff. Guys, this is straight out of the Bible, so let the Holy Spirit talk to you, and, and you know, let's just see if we need to reevaluate some things and, and balance our lives better to fit his ministry rather than our life. So the first one, this would be the excuse, I'm on my way to something more urgent. I'm on my way. I, I already have something else. I have it scheduled. I can't let these people down. So that person that's on the side of the road that needs some help with their car or change a tire, and I know how to do that. I have everything in there. I, you know, I even have the jack or whatever. Don't have time because I already have another schedule going on. We have no idea what God would do with that situation. Maybe that person would come to Jesus Christ right then. How worth it is it to miss out on that appointment to bring somebody into the kingdom? That's a big deal. I know that's like, okay, you can speculate all day what this might happen or this. But when we have that ministry outset and we see God has put us here on this earth to minister, not to ourselves, but to others. That's why we're here. It's not to get a job done. I had to learn that because I was raised in a place that work was very important. You work as hard as you possibly can. You get the job done. You're not there for a check. And you make sure that the boss knows you're the hardest worker out there. And I took that with me, and I, I hit a wall because I saw that there's a lot of people that didn't like me and how I'd run jobs. And the Lord was like, do you really think that I care about this job getting done? Or do you think I care about how this job is being used in this person's life? Work's great for that. It shapes people, doesn't it? All of us have been shaped in this room by work, I'm sure. And we look at that and we see, I'm going to work now to use it as a tool to minister to those other people. Watch your perspective on that. It is an awesome thing that changes. It changes a lot of things. Because now the view and the focus is the people that you're dealing with. The ones that are going to be eternal. Not all the stuff you're going to bring home or all the jobs you're going to complete. You know what's going to happen to all that stuff you guys have built? Poof. <laughs> gone. All these awesome tile jobs I've been doing? Gone. And there's times I sit there and I'm setting the tile. I'm like, this is so lame. This is all going to burn up later. <laughs> you know, but it, I mean, it's a means to get the money and the food and all that. But then you start having this perspective. Okay, I'm in this house. I have a great opportunity to speak to somebody that probably has never been to church, doesn't like God. And I start having conversation with them, and I find out, oh, they do know God. And then I get to start encouraging them and talk about fellowship, and it's so cool what happens. And guess what? I don't remember the tile job anymore. It's still getting done, and it, you know what I needs to be done. I'm still responsible in that, but the focus is on the person. It's a great perspective. And so I'm on my way to excuse. I'm on my way to something more urgent. Look at Mark 5. Mark 5, verse 21 
mask. And we're going to read for a little bit here. Each one of these is going to be a story just about Jesus and just thinking about that. Okay, I'm on my way to something else. And this is, I'm sure you guys have heard this story. This is the one that I'm sorry I was thinking about before and I started describing. Oops. So here it is. Verse 21, now when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him and he was by the sea. Sometimes he'd take shortcuts across the Sea of Galilee, kind of leave the multitude in the back. Unfortunately, Sea of Galilee is not very big, and so they like <laughs> meet him on the other side. But he gets a little free time out there in the water. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus, by, by name. And when he saw Jesus or saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, "My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, that she may be healed, and she will live." So Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. I mean, it was just like. A group around him pushed in. You can imagine this. This is kind of one of those situations that I know a lot of you guys are like, no way. I'm not that into people and having to be in a group like that, get me out of here. And Jesus is moving around and he's going with this group over to this guy's place. And so Jesus went with him and a great multitude followed him, thronged him. Verse 25, now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. So here we find this lady completely hopeless. I mean, there's nothing that man can do for her anymore. She's at this point that it's only Jesus. Like, that is the only person. But does Jesus have enough time to stop? Because he's on an important mission, isn't he? I mean, we, we could argue and say, well, you know, some things in our lives aren't that important, so sure, I can stop. But this was very important, what he's doing here. Especially as a ministry thing. Look at this is one of the guys from the synagogue. This is a great inn. The guys from the synagogue usually didn't like him. What a great testimony. Seemed to be so much important than what is going to happen with this lady. Anyways, so this lady's there, completely hopeless. In verse 27, when she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and just touched his garment. For she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt her body, felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And now Jesus at this point, he could just keep going, right? Knowing that this happened, he could just keep walking, be on his mission to go and save this girl before she dies. And this guy just said, she's on death's doorstep. She is going to die. And he comes and he, Jesus says, immediately knowing that uh, in himself the power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? You know, and the disciples were like, come on, everybody's thronged around you, everybody's touching you. But his disciples said, you see the multitude thronging you and you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. And just this awesome time that he gets to be with this lady. He's on an important mission. There's a ton of people around him, but he just stops. Jesus was not too busy to stop. He wasn't too busy to stop because he knew whose time he was on. Huge, huge important fact. He knew whose time he was on. See, he's only obeying the Father. And guess what? God has time in control, doesn't he? And I say that to encourage you guys, if you have a schedule that you need to keep, if there's all these people depending on you and you don't want to have a bad testimony because you don't show up, God might put something in your path that needs to be dealt with before that. You have to trust in him that he's going to take care of that appointment and that time. So many cool things that he's done in my own life where I've stopped and all of a sudden that person will call me after I've done whatever and I'm panicking because I'm like, 
this is my business. I have to be there when I say I'm going to be there. And they call up and say, hey, could you be this half hour more because I'm not ready for you? And you're like, you are the God of time. You have this. And just to put that trust in his hands and just stop and give that need to that person and minister to them like what Jesus does here. And while he was still speaking in verse 35, some of them came from the ruler of the synagogue house who said, hey, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? We don't know how much time he spent with this woman, but if you're a father in this situation where your child is about to die and you know you have somebody that, that will heal her, it'd be a hard thing to watch that be delayed. I mean, it's almost like everybody get out of the way. I don't know if you've seen Princess Bride where what's-his-name stands up and says, everybody move, and the whole crowd, you're like that. Get out of the way. My daughter has to see Jesus. But Jesus knew who was in control, right? He's doing the will of the Father. And as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, don't be afraid, only believe. Cool, isn't it? Only believe because God is the one that's over time. If he needs to raise this girl back up, that's what he's going to do. Pretty extreme situation. In verse 37, and he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, and the brother of James, which that's awesome. If you guys want to go through on a different study, watch how many times these guys just get to go with Jesus. And even Peter has a healing that's almost exactly like this later on in his own life. So here's Jesus teaching Peter and showing him. And so as he permitted no one to follow except Peter, James, and John, and the brother, uh, the brother of James. And then he came to the house of the ruler in the synagogue and saw a tumult. And those who wept and wailed loudly. Loudly, And when he came in, he said to them, Why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But when he had put them all outside, he took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him and entered where the child was lying. And then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha kumi, which is translated, Little girl, I say to you, arise. Immediately the girl rose and walked, for she was... 12 years old. It's a pretty cool little thing there. 12 years of age, and they were overcome with great amazement. But he commanded them strictly that no one should know it and said to something, that something should be given to her to eat. Awesome story. But showing us that Jesus is not too busy to minister. Jesus is not too busy to stop going where he was going. Another excuse. I already have enough to deal with. That's a place we put ourselves sometimes. I already have way too much going on, God. You can't put something else on me. And this isn't to say that if something comes up, you guys automatically need to jump into the ministry. This is something we pray about and we ask God, is this something else you want me to take on? Do I need to get something else out of my life to put in this place? Because I think there's also the people that are like, yeah, everything that's said to me, I'll take it on, I'll take it on, because I don't want to let anybody down and I don't want to let God down. And then they find themselves in a place of, of just being overwhelmed and failing you know, and not being able to be there. And so that's not what I'm talking about. You guys know that if you use this one, it's, I already have enough to deal with, but really is there too much to deal with? And we look at Jesus' example in Mark 10. Mark chapter 10, verse 46. And so Jesus, he, again, he's walking, he's going home to Jericho, and as he went out of Jericho, after he'd been there for a little bit, uh, with his disciples and a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, Timaeus, sat by the road begging. 
And when he heard that it was Jesus and others, he began to cry out, saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then many warned him to be quiet, but he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. Then they called the blind man, saying to him, be of good cheer, rise, he is calling you. And throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. And Jesus answered and said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, that I may receive my sight. And then Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. And the part I love about this one is in verse 49, because Jesus has got stuff going on. He's got a multitude. He's going places. He's coming out of Jericho now. He's got to go places. But what does it say? He says he stood still. That's sometimes what we need to do. Just like, okay, I just need to stand still. God, what do you want me to do here? And it's awesome what happened. This guy gets to see now the rest of his life. It's a cool thing that God ends up doing here and what he ministers and showing us that, you know what, Jesus had plenty to deal with. And like I said before, I don't think that we can really compare with how much he had to deal with. Not just in his physical and what he was doing, but also in his mental and what he was preparing himself and having to deal with these goofballs that are following him around. You know, and then even the 12 that are close to him that he's trying to show, look, I didn't come to like take over the Romans and all this. I came to die. All of this stuff on him, and he just stops. And you guys can go. I'm just taking a few examples out of the Bible, but he just stops all the time just to heal these people that come up to him and ask if he will. Jesus wasn't too busy to stop. The next one is, it's been a really long day. No more. Okay? I'm done. This is now, and it's after six. The phone's, yep, it's done. It's plugged in. I'm not going to hear you call. I've done enough today. Okay? My day is over with. <laughs> That's a hard one. Because here's, here's why this is hard. It's because we'll put ourselves in a situation where I've worked very hard. And I'm not saying that we haven't worked hard. But it comes to the point of, God, I'm not going to be used now. It's after six o'clock. Okay, you already trashed me today on everything I had to do. And most of the time it's our own selves putting ourselves in that situation. But I've already done enough today, now it's me time. And not to say that, hey guys, it's great just to debrief at the end of the day, to calm down, to prepare for the next day. You know, hopefully you're spending time with the Lord, thanking Him for that day and seeing what He's done for you. But you come to this place sometimes where there's this like, no, I have to, I've drawn a line here. <laughs> this is my time, you're not touching it. Look what Jesus does in Matthew 8. 16. Matthew 8, 16. And now you have to remember, Jesus is always walking around, isn't he? He's walking everywhere. No moped. You know, there's only one time that he gets on a donkey that we know of. He is walking everywhere, going all these places, not sleeping in his own house. You guys know how that is probably why some of you don't want to come camping, right? It's hard. <laughs> so he's going around. You got the, the stresses on Jesus' body, I'm sure at this point, and healing and, and, and knowing just all the stuff he's going through and obeying the Father. And then he comes to this place in verse 16 of chapter 8. And it says, When evening had come, they brought him many, not just one. They brought him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with the word and healed all all of them who were sick, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken with Isaiah the prophet, saying, he himself took our infirmities and bore our sickness. 
And it's so cool to see that that was prophesied, that's what's going to happen. But here it is, it's being shown at a time that we would all say, no, here's my hours, right? But Jesus, after that time, when he's tired, and if you guys go through before that, he's walking around, he's cleansing lepers, you know, he's talking, he's teaching, he is wore out. But yet he stops and he heals these people. And not only that, he has to deal with demons. I mean, have you guys had to deal with demons? It's a crazy situation if you haven't ever been in it, especially being us as humans. I mean, Jesus had the authority, so it's a little different there, but it's a stressful situation. It really is. And having to deal with all this. So it's been a long day, no more. Jesus is showing us now. You know, I might have somebody call you up, and we don't know what that conversation is going to be like. I don't know if you guys have any testimony of somebody that's called or you felt you needed to call them all of a sudden, even in the middle of the night. And they'll tell you a week later, hey, you remember that time you called me? That was the night I was about to end my life. And I cried out to God and asked him, can you just show me you're real? And that's when you called. And we talked about the God, you know, talked about the Lord. I've heard lots of testimonies like that. We have no idea. Sometimes God will just wake us up either to pray for somebody or to go and deal with the situation that he wants us to deal with. We just have to be ready. That's one of those things you get an awesome blessing out of and just being in that obedience to him. We can't ever be too busy for God. Now here's another one. I have my own life to be concerned about. I have my own life. I have my own thing. I have my own family. Okay, I can't deal with anybody else's problems. We already have enough of them. In Matthew 12, 15... So right before this, just to give you guys a little context, he heals on the Sabbath, and now the guys are after him. In verse 14, it says, And then the Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might destroy him. Now, I don't know in your guys' lives if you guys have had a lot going on as far as there's a mob chasing after you and wants to kill you. Okay, that's pretty extreme. All of these examples are very extreme examples of what was going on, and so we don't have excuse. But what does Jesus do in verse 15? But when Jesus knew it, he knew they were after him. He withdrew from there. So he was getting away because it wasn't his time right. It wasn't his time to die. And he says, and a great multitude followed him. And what did he do to them? Guys, get out of here. I'm trying to hide. <laughs> Leave me alone. With a big multitude, they know where I'm at. <laughs> Go away. So cool. He doesn't do that, does he? He heals them. He has compassion on them. And the reason is because Jesus knows who's in control, right? The disciples, you get to see them doing the same things, going in dangerous places because they knew that God was in control. So how many times can we say that, you know what, I got my own life that I'm concerned about? Literally, I have my own life in my, you know, like if I don't run, I'm going to be in trouble. When we just stop and be like, no, 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 I need a minister because God is asking me to. This person needs to be spoken to. I better move a little faster. Another one, I'm on vacation, I deserve a break. It's kind of like the night one. But this is a little bit more extended. I've been working so hard every Saturday, I deserve a break. That's it. So Matthew 13, this is a cool one because Jesus went to the beach too. Matthew 13, verses 1 and 2. It says, on the same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea. Okay, he's been in this house. He's, he's all good. He's got some relaxation. And guess what's on the beach now? Verse 2, a great multitudes were gathered together to him so that he got into a boat and sat and the whole multitude stood on the shore. It was so full that he actually had to get out in a boat so that he could preach to these guys. But he didn't send them away. It wasn't like, no, no, no. This is my beach time. Okay? 
I'm going to draw some lines here in the sand. Do not come in this box. This is my time. We can wait until later. I'm on vacation. There's so many times when we'll go out, and, and you know, it's awesome testimony I've heard from some of you guys that you guys have gone on vacation, and you guys meet other believers you get to be encouraged by, or you encourage them. Uh, there's other people you, you, you get to lead to Christ on your vacation. Awesome. Always have that perspective. God, who do you want me to speak to? Who do I need to be sharing you with? Another one, and this one's a hard one. This is one of those ones that I didn't want to just say it's an excuse because it is a very hard one. But I think that we can get into a hard place in our lives if we don't start serving others, and that's when we're in a time of grieving. When we're in a time of grieving, when something as horrible has happened in our life or whether we've lost somebody very dear to us, we've gone through a hard situation and we need that time to grieve. Yes, there is time to grieve, but if you remain there, you're going to dig yourself a hole and not come out of there. The best way to come out of grieving is what? Serving others. Getting your eyes on others and what you can be doing for them. And what we get to see here is Jesus even does the same thing. Jesus shows us how to deal with grieving. And so in Matthew, and I only have one more after this, so hold tight. Matthew 14, 13 and 14. This is right before he's going to feed the 5,000. But we usually don't know what happened right before this. You guys know that Jesus just found out about John the Baptist being killed. John the Baptist, the greatest prophet that Jesus said, right? His cousin. This is Jesus' blood. This is a guy that was preparing the way for him. This is the guy that baptized him. John the Baptist was very dear to Jesus. And so he's in this time, and it says in verse 13, when he had heard it, when he had heard about what happened to it, and it wasn't just a he died of sickness, he got his head cut off by the king. I mean, a sick thing that happened to his friend. So when he heard it, he departed from there by boat to, depart, to a deserted place by himself. He needed to go grieve. But he didn't stay in that place by himself. But when the multitudes heard it, they followed him on foot from the cities. At this point, you're just like, go away. I just need some time alone. I just need some time alone. Okay, I had something horrible happen in my life. Just get away. But again, we see Jesus does not allow us to do that. Because he comes right in there and it says, and when Jesus went out and saw the great multitude, he was moved with what? Compassion for them. And healed their sickness. Jesus' eyes were not on himself and his hurt and his sadness for losing his dear friend. But instead, he all of a sudden has this compassion for these people that need to be tended to, this ministry that needed to take place. So awesome. Jesus was busy, but he stopped. And then the last one is the excuse or whatever is, I'm dying here. I'm dying. And there's some people that have gone into a horrible situation in their life, and it does come down to that where it's like, you don't understand, you should be the one ministering to me because I am literally dying. But then you look again at Jesus' example, and he, he flips that over. I think one of the best things a person can do is they're going through a process and maybe they are dying is to look at others and see, Jesus, what can I do for you before you take me home? How can I encourage these other people? Over in Luke. Luke 23 Luke 23, verse 28 through 31. This is when Jesus is on the cross. This is one of those places, I mean, he's not just dying, he's getting tortured. And you, this would be one of those places, like, look what's going on with me. I, <laughs> you want me to minister to you? 
really? I'm going through a horrible situation right here. But instead what he does is here he is and he's, he's carrying that cross. The other guy had to pick it up for him and carry it. And it says, And the great multitude of people followed after him, women who also mourned and lamented him. In verse 20 it says, But Jesus turning to them said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For indeed the days are coming in which they will say, Blessed are the barren wombs that never bore and breasts which never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us and to the hills cover us. For if they do these things in green wood... Uh, what will be done in the dry. And he's just prophesying here. He's ministering to them. He's teaching them. He's showing them in this time, this horrible time, where he's already been beaten. He's carrying this Christ. And then he goes on and he talks about, you know, he talks to God the Father and he says, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Just again, just pouring out on these people. And then he comes up to this place in verse 43 where he's talking to the the uh, guy that also, you know, was up there on the cross with him. And he says, the guy says to him in verse 42, this, he says, uh, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says to him, as surely I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Ministering to the guy that's next to him on the cross. When the guy on the, on next to him was the one that actually did something wrong. And Jesus didn't. But yet he's not focused on his self-pity or, or what is going on with himself. He's focused on the person next to him that's also suffering and having to go through the same suffering as he's going through. And so as we look at this, I want to encourage you guys, and, and again, it's not to condemn what's going on in your guys' life, but reassess and see where is your busyness. We all can take a look at our schedules, every one of us, and make sure we're not missing out on those ministry opportunities that he's wanting us to do, on those places we need to step into the church and help out those that have been doing it for 10 years. You know, a lot of the times they say 10% of the church is what helps out. 10% are the ones that actually serve at the church. It's a sad number. You think that we're all servants. And not only that, but serving in your workplace, serving everywhere, just looking for opportunities. Hey, there's a piece of trash. I'm going to pick that up for you, Jesus. You know, I want to minister to these people. I want to do this for you. And just having that constant outlook. I love it how Jesus, he just touches a lot when he goes around, doesn't he? Everything's, he has so many times where he heals with touch. It's because God knows us. He's intimate with us, and he knows we have to have that touch. So we should be out there touching. And just to end, the worship team wants to come back up. You guys can go look with Lazarus and look at that whole example and what he did there. And just God's timing. And just to look at God is the one in control of time. So if your guys' excuse is, I just don't have enough time to do this, where's your faith? I just put that, where is the faith at? That he's going to take care of that. That we can stop and help other people. So look over in Titus, just to close out. Titus 3.14. This is one of those verses I usually skip over when I'm reading. I just hit it the other day. It's one of the ones that's at the very last. So you're like, okay, Paul's just saying goodbye, and here's this person I can't pronounce and that. And so, But this awesome verse here in, in verse 14 of the last chapter of, of Titus in chapter 3, it says, And let our people also, this is Paul telling Titus, And let our people, let the church also learn to maintain good works, to maintain them, to keep them up. God's given us that path to walk in. We need to maintain it. And then it says to meet urgent needs. So he tells them, meet urgent needs. And the reason for it is because he doesn't want to see them be unfruitful. It says that they may not be unfruitful. So that we can have fruitful lives. Make sure that in your guys' busy schedule, you have time to stop. God's got the time. Put your faith out there and be like, yeah, 
I need to serve this person. I need to go just to lunch with them. God's got it. And it'll mean so much. And you guys have an awesome testimony of God working in your life. So Lord, we just want to thank you so much. And just as we go over these verses and we think about all the example you gave us and, and uh, so many times, I know in my own life, I just want to say, well, it's Jesus. Of course, that's the way it's going to be. But you know, you had a body just like I have a body and you, you had needs just like I have needs. And you got tired like I got tired. I get tired and just all of us, Lord, and, and that example you led for us and you showed us that it is absolutely possible. Lord, I pray that you would just help us in doing that, that we could reassess our lives, that we could look at it and see where we need to come back on track with that ministry that you've given us. And each one of us has our own gifts, Lord. You've given, you know, according to what your spirit wanted to give to us. But Lord, I ask that we would just return to those gifts, that that would be the priorities in our life is just to serve you. Lord, as we go through work, that we'd focus on those people that you've put us with. As we're in church, that we'd figure out how we could serve each other, Lord, and rather than just ourselves. Lord, I just want to pray for these guys that you just bless them as they go out. And I pray that we'd have awesome testimony as we come again uh, together next week just to praise you and, and talk about what you did this week because we stopped. We stopped to minister to those people you put in our path, Lord. Just do awesome things this week, Lord. I pray that we just have testimony of you and be able to glorify you. And just pray this in your name. Amen.